I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. This morning I want to talk about the idea of water and uh, relating these things to, to biblical events and tying them together. Water is everywhere. We need water to live. We use it to clean, to remove filth, and we use it to make things new. So let's look together at some spiritual applications of water using various Bible references and imagery. So the, the three things we want to look at are the worldwide flood, the time of Noah, the Red Sea crossing with Moses, and then the idea of baptism, and, and, and see some, some ties, all these together. With Noah, we had a salvation from a sinful world, and with Moses crossing the Red Sea, we had salvation from the mighty Egyptian army that was pers- that were pursuing the Israelites there. In New Testament baptism, we have salvation from our sinful selves, and the wages of sin is death, so we're able to have salvation from, from that. The Bible ties all these together, and we'll, we'll try to make these connections here this morning. Let's look at the flood in Genesis chapter 6. Let's read here from Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. At this time, people were caught up in, in evil and, and being given over to sin. It kind of sounds familiar to our society today. We need to take notice of these things and hopefully be found like Noah, be found uh, having favor and being pleasing in the eyes of God. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, where we see the reference there that, that uh, and he didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah with seven others, a preacher of righteousness, when he brought a flood on the world of the ungodly. So we see that Noah preached, but the world did not listen. Again, this sounds familiar. We're trying to live lives of godliness and and to be good examples in the world, but often we see those things fall on deaf ears. But yet we still must teach. We must persuade. We must preach that some might be saved. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 20. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life. He blotted out every living thing, that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. 
they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. God used water to cleanse the sinful world. Notice that the ark didn't cleanse the world. They were saved by being in the ark, but it's the, the water that cleansed the world of this sinful generation. Noah's obedience was demonstrated in building the ark. And so we would ask the question, how can we demonstrate our obedience today through baptism, which we'll talk more about later. Verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. That's, that's five months if you do the math. That's a, a significant amount of time that this all went on. Let's continue in Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, another 150 days, another five months, at the end of that, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest in the mountains of Ararat. This was a long time this flood took place. This was a big deal. This was a worldwide flood that God brought upon the earth to judge the earth. Let's look at Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. You know, we call this a rainbow, but the text calls it a bow, which brings to mind a, a, a bow as in archery. And, and you might think about which way it points. It doesn't point down toward the earth, it points upward. Um, Perhaps this is to give us some sort of hint of the idea of of the the Son of God and His sacrifice that we see later in the Bible. Perhaps. Whether or not that is the point, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. John 3.17 So as we think about this, 
this flood, this first of the three sections we're thinking about, we have the problem. The problem being solved here is the wicked world. As we read, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God's solution, God has a plan involving water. The world was covered in water, and the sinful died, and the righteous were preserved. So let's look for this pattern repeating as we continue our study. Let's look now at the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. The Red Sea is 5,000 feet deep in most places. The likely place of the crossing was perhaps more than 1,000 feet, which is still a great deal of water. This is very deep. This is not a mud puddle or some sort of parking lot that's wet kind of thing. This is a great deal of water. Depending on where you place the crossing, you know, it was probably at least 10 miles that they would have crossed over this. A 10-mile miraculous hike or perhaps even farther. Let's look at Exodus chapter 14 and read about this. Of course, this is where the Israelites had been freed from slavery in Egypt, and then Pharaoh changed his mind and sent the army after, him, after them. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, and the host is an army, the army of Israel. Are they an army? Or are there a bunch of slaves that got away? Nevertheless, uh, the host of Israel, and, and that moved and went behind them. The angel of the Lord was, was leading them and now is behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host or the army of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. God's protecting them. The Egyptians certainly had an army, but the Israelites perhaps less so, but they're called a host or an army here. The angel of the Lord is protecting them. Do we recognize our power is from God and not of ourselves? I think that's part of the lesson here. The power is not in us, it's in God. Let's continue on here in in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Can you imagine this? Being at this large body of water, and this this great wind, causing causing this to happen. Um, The same word for wind is the word that we sometimes translate spirit. Certainly God had a hand in this miraculous parting of the Red Sea. Let's continue. Exodus 14.22 And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. Imagine that. Again, this is, this is quite an event. 
going into this large body of water, the water on both sides, how you would be concerned that would perhaps come down on you. But uh, we, the, trust, the trust for those walls of water to not come down, that would be something. Certainly trusting in God is what this is about. And they were being pursued by the Egyptians, so, so they're, they're in a tight spot. But recognize that God wins. God always wins, so we need to be on his side. Verse 22, And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Again, thinking about this host of Israel, this army of Israel, God is fighting. God is fighting for them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. The Lord is victorious. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all of the host of Pharaoh, the army of Pharaoh, that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. God was utterly victorious here. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel, with the Lord, was in fact an army and was victorious. So if we think about the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea, there we had the problem of the Egyptian army, and God had a solution, his plan involving water. The Israelites and the Egyptians were surrounded by water, but the sinful, the Egyptians died, and the righteous Israelites were preserved. Now let's turn our attention to the idea of baptism, looking at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus was baptized, though he had no sin, to fulfill all righteousness. But we have sinned, I have sinned, you have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But have you been baptized to have your sins washed away? Will you be baptized? Is God well pleased with you and with me? It's also interesting here to think about Genesis 1, where the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters, and, and, and these ideas of the wind that we, that we talked about uh, being present uh, in the flood of Noah to get rid of those waters, and the, 
And then the crossing of the Red Sea, the, the wind. The same, the same word for wind and spirit there. It's interesting to think about, about that. And then here as well, where we have seemingly the Holy Spirit being alluded to or, or directly mentioned as being part of these great events in relation to the water. Something I'm studying. Just wanted to, to share that. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are to baptize and to teach and help the church to grow. John chapter 3. This is with Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, make a reference to baptism, and the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I highlighted these words in blue here. Because that's, they're really all the same word. They're all the same word for this, uh, wind, this word that means breath and spirit and wind and that sort of thing. It's interesting, this word play that maybe we don't quite see that Jesus uses here with regard to, to the wind blowing and the spirit. But just take note of that. So Jesus has this discussion with Nicodemus about the new birth. But what does it mean to be born of water? and the Spirit, and how can we do that? Let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they heard what? They heard Peter give a long sermon about the Old Testament and how the Messiah was to come, and the Messiah was Jesus the Christ, and you guys killed Him, the people He's talking to. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We could certainly apply that to our generation as well. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Water baptism is how we receive God's forgiveness. This is His forgiveness that was made available free to us 
through the shedding of Jesus' blood, paying the price for our sins. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was Isaiah 53, which some of us maybe were even looking at as we shared the Lord's Supper this morning. It says, it says there, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about, about whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, this Old Testament scripture, told, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And we could get a sense of perhaps what some of the things that Philip had said when he taught, told him the good news about Jesus. Certainly, he told him something about baptism in order for this reaction to make any sense. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Jesus died to pay the price for your sins and my sins. We need to be buried with him in baptism. He was probably driving through the desert here and sort of surprised to find the water. It wasn't everywhere. Uh, so that's why he was able to say, see, see, here's water. I found some. Why don't we do it? Do you think we can find water here today? I think, I think we can figure it out. I'm sure we can figure that out. Let's look at Acts chapter 10, the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile Christian. Acts 10.44 While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, the Jewish people, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I think referring to just as we the apostles did in Acts chapter 2. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. You know, I have shared a photo here of, of some soldiers, I think over in Iraq, finding a way in the desert to be baptized. Look, here is water. They figured it out. They made a way. I bet it wouldn't be as difficult for us to do that today if someone needs to be baptized. Let's look at Acts chapter 16 with Lydia. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia 
from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. When it says a worshiper of God rather than a Jew, I think she's someone who uh, was not a Jew, but yet was favorably helping the Jews and, and, and agreeing with those things and, and perhaps on her way to become a proselyte, to become a Jew. That's what I believe that means there. So this is a good woman with a good heart, a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Maybe you're here in attendance today and, and you believe and agree with a lot of these things, but have not been converted, have not obeyed, never been baptized. Perhaps similar to Lydia here. Recognize the free gift of salvation is for you, and it is today. Today is the day of salvation. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed. And some of our religious neighbors like to, to, to grab onto that word believe and make it mean agree with facts. But in fact, we see here, they're instructed to believe and then they're taught these things and their response was to be baptized. We, we see as a a comprehensive view of the scriptures. Belief involves uh, an acting faith to, to actually obey and follow God and not just agree with a set of facts. Do you believe in God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? I encourage you to do that today if you have not. But let's continue in the Word of God, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ 
was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. We should be baptized and walk, rise to walk in a new life. Both, both in, with regard to as soon as we come up out of the watery grave of baptism, we're a Christian, we're, we're a new life. But it also alludes to the resurrection in the last day where we know that we're promised to be raised from the dead. Galatians 2.20 Paul writes this. Can we say this? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Can we say that? Galatians 3.27 For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Have you clothed yourself with Christ? Colossians 3 If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We need to put away our sinful selves and hide ourselves in Christ. Acts 8.36 See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents you from being baptized? Only your choices. There's no one stopping you today. As Joshua said in Joshua 24, verse 15, Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. And as he said about himself and his leadership, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need to take a stand like Joshua and serve God in this crooked generation. So again, thinking about this pattern that we've been looking at, baptism, the problem that we're solving with baptism is our sinful self that condemns us to everlasting punishment. The solution, God has a solution that's his plan that involves water, just like the rest of these we've looked at. Our sinful self is covered in water, and that man of sin is put to death, but the new man rises to walk in a new life. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we've looked at these three things. Noah's flood, 
the worldwide flood in Noah's time, the Red Sea crossing with Moses, and then baptism that was brought on with with, uh, Jesus in the New Testament. What's the connection? Well, God has a plan, and His plan is for our salvation. It involves water in each of these cases, and and the Spirit seems to be involved in these as well. Well, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited, In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, which corresponds to what? The flood of of Noah. Baptism, which corresponds to the flood, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. In Noah's day, the sinful world was cleansed by the waters of the flood. In our day, our sinful selves are cleansed and put to death by the waters of baptism into Christ. We are saved by the blood of Christ, and we come into contact with his blessings through baptism. We are free from sin to rise to walk in newness of life. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. Thinking about the connection of baptism and the crossing of the Red Sea. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. In the time of Moses and the Exodus, the Israelites were finally freed from their bonds of slavery in Egypt. And in our time, when we are baptized into Jesus' death, we are free from the bonds of sin. And we see the same language being used by Paul as he writes to the church of Corinth, making that connection with that crossing of the Red Sea and baptism. So this is our invitation. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. This is what Ananias told Paul, and Paul obeyed, will you? And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So if we can help you with that this morning, we'll find a way to baptize you if that's what uh, you're missing in your life. If there are things we need to, to pray about for you as an erring Christian, we want to encourage you to respond to the gospel either way. 
I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love.